Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews chapter 1, 4 through 14, called Let All the Angels of God Worship Him. All right, the book of Hebrews, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, let all the angels of God worship him. So we're moving verse by verse through the book, uh, as we normally do. Let's stand to our feet if you're able to stand with us, and I want to welcome those who are watching live stream. Hebrews 1, we're going to backtrack to verse 3, and we'll read the text to the end of the chapter. Jesus is the subject, he is the radiance of his glory, Hebrews 1.3, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. There's our title for tonight. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all will become old like a garment. Like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be uh, changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Father, we have a a good uh, lengthy passage here to deal with tonight, and it is some deep uh, theology. And I pray that you'll give us understanding and a heart to respond, really a heart to look at the exaltation of Christ and to rejoice that we are in him if we're believers tonight, and that this is who he is, and this one came down on a rescue mission. We're so grateful for that. Grant us understanding. Help us to respond in a way that pleases and glorifies you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Let all the angels of God worship him. So uh, angels are uh, kind of an interesting, almost mysterious topic in the Bible. And uh, if you're interested, angels are mentioned 100 times in the Old Testament, over 100 times, and over 160 times in the New Testament. Here's what we know about angels in rapid fire. And my purpose tonight is not to give you a, a sermon on angels, but they are kind of the topic, at least a a connecting topic tonight. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can always go back and listen to this later. later. Angels were created by God early in the creation and shouted for joy 
when he created the earth. You can look at Job 38, 7. Angels are continually praising God. We see that in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. Day and night, they don't cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Angels carry out God's will and God's word. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Psalm 103, verse 20. Angels communicate God's message to man. For example, you can think of Daniel uh, receiving revelation. You can think of the apostle John who received the book of Revelation through an angel. You can think of Gabriel announcing the births of both John the Baptist and Jesus early in Matthew and Luke. In Jewish writings uh, outside the Bible, we have names of angels like Raphael, Uriel, and Phanuel, uh, the only two that we really have names of in the Bible, other than Lucifer, who would be a fallen angel, would be Gabriel and Michael. Angels, number five, rejoice at the salvation of the lost. Luke 15 tells us that there's joy in the presence of the holy angels when one sinner comes to repentance. Amen? Angels minister to those who will inherit salvation. We'll look at that tonight, and we'll look at some angel stories that are pretty intriguing. Uh, so they minister to those who will inherit salvation. There are some who believe that each of us have a guardian angel. Uh, that's a debatable point. That's Matthew 18, 10. And Jesus talked about their angels. Always behold the face of my father. Uh, I'm not sure we all have a guardian angel. Some of you need two or three or four or five. But that's another story for another time. Psalm 91.11 says he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Angels actually broke uh, the apostles out of prison on a couple of occasions. Peter in Acts 12.7. And uh, I think it was Peter and John in Acts 5.19 and 20. Angels are said to be involved in a believer's death. When Jesus pulls back the veil of two people who died in Luke 16, it says, now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, Luke 16, 22. So it would appear that angels have some involvement after we die, perhaps to usher us into the presence of God. Angels will be highly involved at Christ's second coming. They will call forth the elect. We'll hear the voice of the archangel. There'll be a loud trumpet. They are the reapers in separating the wheat from the chaff, according to Matthew chapter 13, etc. And Jesus is coming with all the angels, Matthew 24, verse 31. And then you can look at um, Matthew 13, verse 41. Many Jews believe that the old covenant was brought forth to them by God or from God through the mediation of angels. Deuteronomy 33.2 says the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Mount Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran and he came from them. He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. Deuteronomy 33.2. Psalm 89.7 says a, a, a God greatly feared is the, in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all those who are around him. That's our God, Psalm 89, verse 7. And so Galatians 3.19, let me just give you a final one, says, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, 
having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. So to the Jewish mind, angels were extremely exalted, immeasurably important, uh, mainly because it was believed that the law what came through the mediation of angels. And when I say the law, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments and then the laws that spring forth from the Ten Commandments. And so angels were seen as very important. And we have called this particular study in the book of Hebrews our superior and sympathetic high priest. And so Jesus is superior to the law and he is superior to the angels. And remember that this first century audience was having a difficult time. There was persecution. They were tempted to go back to the temple, tempted to go back to the law. And the writer is uh, linking them back to the Old Testament, if you will, to show them the superior nature of Christ so that they don't give up, so that they don't turn back, so that they don't go back to the world or back to the law or back to trying to please God from the standpoint of performance. And this is a very real issue for all of us tonight. No matter what you are tempted to go back to, one of the things that will keep you on track is to continue to see the exalted Christ who saved you for who he is. Amen? So I think on a practical level, that's what the writer is doing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that he is making sure that they see Christ for who he is so that they know who they are. And identity is a huge issue in our world. It's a huge issue for all of us. We want to be secure in our identity. It's a big problem all over the world. I don't have time to go there tonight, but you guys know that it is. And so when we see the exalted Christ for who he is, it helps us stay on track and be who we're called to be. So what do we know about Jesus? Well, we've learned some things about who he is in the first three verses that God has spoken to us in these last days through his son, and that he is the exact representation of God the Father's nature, and that through Christ he made the world, and he holds it all together. And I hope you were with us last Wednesday, or you got a chance to listen, because we're on holy ground. And it was amazing just to see who Jesus is. And the writer will continue with that theme, and I'm going to try to give you several points that will help you along the way in some exalted territory in terms of theology, some passages that need explanation for us to have understanding, at least seven Old Testament quotes from the writer of Hebrews, and each of the quotes that he gives are from the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. So you say, what is that, Pastor Michael? Well, the Septuagint version of the Old Testament was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament They believe it was completed around 250 B.C., somewhere in there. So basically, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek. The writer of Hebrews, every time he quotes a verse in this section, is quoting the Septuagint version. And that's important to understand because there's some variation in some of the quotes. If you go back and you read from your Bible some of the quotes I'm going to give you tonight, you may be a little bit confused because the Septuagint version sometimes has a little different content in those verses. That's the Greek translation, and that's what's going to be quoted tonight. And you can see that this uh, writer has incredible depth of knowledge into the Old Testament. He's going to quote 
uh, at least seven Old Testament verses, five of which are Psalms. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. If you listen to Walk in Truth on a regular basis, we could use your help by becoming a monthly financial partner. Our mission on Walk in Truth is to help people like you become better equipped with God's Word to address today's issues, trends, and culture. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with other monthly expenses. What we really need is more monthly partners so the program will be sustained in the months and maybe even years to come. Our ultimate goal is to eventually become 100% listener supported and then have the ability to broadcast on more radio stations to reach more people like you. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner, giving $10 to $20 a month. You can give online today at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. If you go back and you read from your Bible some of the quotes I'm going to give you tonight, you may be a little bit confused because the Septuagint version sometimes has a little different content in those verses. That's the Greek translation, and that's what's going to be quoted tonight. And you can see that this uh, writer has incredible depth of knowledge into the Old Testament. He's going to quote at least seven Old Testament verses, five of which are Psalms. And I hope that many of you have become very familiar with the book of Psalms, because a psalm a day will help your heart stay steady. Amen. It's like, you know, it's a prescription for the soul to read a psalm a day. And so it begins this way. It's verse four and it says, having become or being made is the King James version as much better than the angels. Now remember the the big theme, the superiority of Jesus here over the angels. He is better than them. He is superior ESV to the angels. He has inherited a more excellent name than they. If you're taking notes, Jesus has a superior name. Now, when, see, when people see something like the King James has it as being made much better, immediately our minds think of, well, maybe that means that Jesus was created. Is, is Jesus, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, the first and greatest creation of God? Well, that is not what the Bible teaches, but that is what some groups believe. And sometimes when you read... Uh, Words like firstborn, as we're going to see tonight, and being made as the King James Version has it, it can be confusing. And for us in our Western culture, when we look at words or phrases, what do we do? Well, we immediately put them into a channel of what we know by way of a a modern definition. And you have to be careful when you're looking at your Bible that you don't automatically categorize things in you know the century in which you live and what you've learned that's why it's important to know you know what these definitions are have a little bit of a working knowledge with original languages and at least be able to go check what words mean because uh this is going to be very important here and so Jesus having become met much better than the angels someone might say well how could he become much better than the angels if he's 
the creator. He was always better than the angels, wasn't he? Flip over to Hebrews 2, just for a second, look at verse 9. The topic is Christ, and it says, We do see him who was made for a little while, what's your Bible say? Lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, Jesus became greater than the angels, more excellent, having a more excellent name. In fact, he has the name which is above all names. And in Philippians 2, that idea is tied to what Christ did. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? To the glory of God the Father. When Jesus was incarnated, when he became a man, a baby born in Bethlehem, he became for a time a little lower than the angels because he became a man. And he dealt with all of the normal stuff that we deal with it. We deal with. Now, he was 100% God, 100% man, we know, but he humbled himself. When he died on the cross, if you looked at Jesus in those moments, in his agony, Isaiah uh, would tell us that he was barely recognizable as human. He was not, in human eyes, exalted. We would say he was brought to the lowest point, suffering the death of basically a criminal to be executed. But on the cross, he triumphed over principalities and powers. And through the resurrection, this is Romans 1.4, if you're taking notes, he's declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And the resurrection was God's seal of approval on the crucifixion. It is finished. Paid in full, Jesus goes into the tomb, and then he rises from the dead, and that is heaven's seal that this is truly God the Son or the Son of God. That's what's going on in this verse. Jesus humbled himself, but upon his victory through the cross and the resurrection, he has now inherited a more excellent name than the angels. Angels are called sons of God, Job 1.6, but Jesus is the unique son of God by nature. That's Hebrews 1.3, and it connects to verse 5. Take a look. For to which of the angels did he, that is the father, ever say, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. To which angel did God ever say, you are my son? Answer, none. Now, this is important for you to understand, and I don't want to pick on Jehovah's Witnesses tonight, but they started it, so we need to respond to it. In Jehovah's Witness teaching, when you kind of peel back the layers, they believe that Jesus is the first and greatest creation of God, and he is Michael, the archangel. Now, why did they come up with that teaching? Well, Charles Taze Russell, who was the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, had a problem with the Trinity. And he would debate people. He owned a clothing store. He would debate people at the counter. And he began to attack the Trinity in his writings. 
And he denied the Trinity, so he taught that Jesus was created by God and not the creator. And so there needed to be some other explanation for who Jesus is. And Russell, who was repeating a heresy from the 4th century of the church called the Arian heresy, repeated that much later on and said that Jesus was created by the Father. He was the first and greatest creation of God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the creator of everything, and he created principalities and powers, which would include angels. He's the creator of angels. And God never, ever said to an angel, you are my son. You've been listening to Let All the Angels of God Worship Him, part one on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is available on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel. Maybe these Ten Commandment teachings are bringing up some feelings you need to let out, or perhaps you have more questions. Go ahead and call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael one more time before we go. Well, maybe as you've been listening to this, you are part of a group that denies the deity of Christ or the Trinity. Or you don't believe that Jesus is the unique Son of God or God the Son. Maybe you're a little bit offended by the teaching. Here's what I would ask you to do. Look at your Bible again. Think about the reasons that were given during the sermon. The Walk through the text. Put aside your presuppositions just for a moment. Walk through Hebrews chapter 1 where the Father calls the Son God, and creation is attributed to Jesus and really all throughout the first chapter. And begin to ask yourself some questions like this. Who are you going to believe? Do you believe that the Bible in Hebrews chapter 1 teaches that Jesus is God the Son? And if you do, all your preconceived notions, even if they were taught authoritatively by another source, may well be wrong. And in the end, let me just ask you, my friend, whose approval do you want when it's all said and done? See, when you have the truth right in front of you and you reject the truth, there's there's a cost to that. Now, maybe you didn't know. I mean, maybe you only heard one point of view and that's okay. I mean, look, there's not much you can do about that, but now you've heard another point of view. Could I encourage you? to go back through the text, put aside all the the other helps, and study your Bible and see what God will show you. Because Hebrews chapter 1, along with Colossians 1, Revelation 1, and John 1, emphatically argue that Jesus is God, and therefore there is a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's my encouragement to you, is... Let the Bible speak to you. I think you'll come to a conclusion, even if you can't put every nuance of it together, that Jesus is God. And remember, God is supernatural. 
He spoke the universe into existence. Just because you can't put everything on a chalkboard and figure it all out doesn't mean it's not true. It's been said that you might not be able to fully comprehend the Trinity, but you can at least apprehend it. And this is the declaration, once again, in John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and Revelation 1. And I would argue, as you study the Gospels too, they emphatically teach that Jesus is God. This is Pastor Michael Lance, and we've been studying the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we're excited to share it with you. And I pray that you've been blessed by it, and it's encouraging your faith and hopefully building you up and maybe even challenging you as well. And um, I'm so glad you're listening. Hey, would you keep us in prayer? Support us as the Lord would lead you. You can find out more about us at walkintruth.com. Maybe you're brand new to the broadcast and you'd like to find out a little bit more about us and how you can pray for us. Or maybe you'd like to send us a prayer request or even a word of encouragement would be wonderful. We appreciate it. We read everything that gets sent our way from our incredible listening family and our Walk in Truth partners. Once again, it's walkintruth.com. This is Pastor Michael, and we will see you right here, Lord willing, tomorrow. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. If you're a longtime listener, please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Your contribution helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with some of the -the behind-the-scenes work for this ministry. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner for just $5 a month and visit walkintruth.com to give. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, called, Let All the Angels of God Worship Him. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.